Well, let's head to talk about Ukraine now, at least, because the impact of the war, as we well know, continues to be felt around the world. That is particularly true in countries that suffer from food insecurity. And it's true of food prices just about everywhere. But Ukraine, as we've talked about, is a major exporter of things such as wheat and sunflower oil or sunflower to the world. But much of what they export is now trapped. Uh, either they can't get it out of the country or they're having trouble moving it by train because Russia has imposed essentially a naval blockade. They can't access the sea, uh, the Black Sea, to be able to ship this stuff around the world from Ukraine. Uh, it's also obviously doing very deep damage to the Ukrainian economy in general. Well, this week, our foreign affairs minister, Melanie Jolie, was at the UN in New York for discussions on food security, and the issue of Ukraine was top of the agenda. Uh, she did announce that Canada will be sending cargo ships to ports in Romania, which is sort of a neighbor, um, that has access to the Black Sea, and other European countries neighboring Ukraine to help it export its wheat, what Jolie described as in her speech as freedom wheat. Of course, the issue of the blockade itself is intrinsically tied to the overall overall war. Um, Russia hasn't seen many successes, although we were talking a lot about Mariupol today. Um, and the issue is being looked at in a recent article called Breaking the Black Sea Blockade by Sir Lawrence Friedman. He's an emeritus professor of war studies at King's College in London, England, the author of several books on war and strategic studies, including the upcoming Command, The Politics and Military Operations from Korea to Ukraine. He's also often referred to as the Dean of British Strategic Studies, and Sir Lawrence Friedman joins me from London. Thank you so much for being here. Good to talk to you. Um, the Ukrainian military said this week that they see us entering what would be called a protracted phase uh, of this war. Uh, what's your sense of how this fight will unfold in the coming months? Well, it's, it's, it's difficult enough working out how it will unfold in the coming days. I, I think what one can see at the moment is a very concerted uh, Russian push to really to sort of clear up Luhansk as much as it can, mm -hmm. um, which they're concentrating a lot of effort. Um, and it's had some limited but not trivial success. Um, but the question is, A, whether that can be sustained and B, whether it can link up with moves elsewhere. Uh, and the general sense is, I think, that the Russians are still taking a lot of attrition and finding it hard to fully exploit even gains when they make them. Uh, they're very hampered by uh, the problems they've had with, with, with manpower, uh, which is both numbers and morale. Um, the Ukrainians uh, are, have made some progress themselves, pushing Russians out from uh, around Kharkiv, nibbling away around Kherson. Um, but I don't think that the Ukrainians um, uh, expect this current stage to be more than largely defensive while they prepare their forces for what is anticipated to be a more serious offensive. Um, and first, it's a hard slog for the Ukrainians as well. I mean, the, they don't talk about their casualties. Um, and they're not as severe as those of the Russians, but they're severe enough. So it's a hard slog. Um, it's tough fighting. But I think their assumption is that as more Western equipment comes in and as they get used to it and uh, feel uh, properly trained on it, 
um, it will have a, a, a more, more and more substantial impact on the battle. I think the, the Russians probably share that assessment, <clears throat> which is why they're trying to get what they can as soon as they can. So uh, I think we've got a, a period of some quite tough fighting with not necessarily a lot of movement. Um, but then I think uh, Ukrainian strength should begin to tell um, and the, the Russians will, will be fighting much more of a difficult defensive battle. We haven't yet seen the, the Ukrainians um, on a, a sort of a more classical offensive. We've seen them do very well uh, sort of turning the tactics they've used to defence to offence, just moving sort of almost village by village against uh, against the Russians. But if you're trying to move significant distances in, in a day, then you've got to be prepared to go out in the open a bit more, uh, and that becomes more challenging. So we'll see. I, 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 I'm, I, I think the, the Ukrainians are being very cautious properly with their assessment, and it may well take another uh, couple of months before we've got a clear idea of, about how that side is likely to end up. As a longtime student, a longtime expert on war, uh, I think in the lead up to this, you called the buildup unusual. It seems like how the the war itself has unfolded over the three months or nearly three months now has been full of surprises. What have you found to be the most um, the most surprising aspect of this fight so far? I think people assumed um, that the Russians knew what they were doing. Um, now, it, it was always clear that uh, and it was clear before the war that Putin had a, I've, I've called it a delusional view of Ukraine, that, that it wasn't a proper country, lacked a national identity, um, wasn't likely to fight, um, and that shaped the original war plans. But you would have thought there'd be a, been enough cautious voices in the Russian military and in Moscow to at least ask questions about what happens if uh, they don't crumble? What happens if they have sorted out their defences? So they really got themselves off on the wrong foot to start with. They have never really recovered. They've uh, struggled from day one with um, uh, with uh, Ukrainian tactics, with the defensive tactics, with uh, logistics problems, um, with morale problems, command problems. Uh, and I think they all, they all stem from, from the uh, original uh, misassessment of, of Ukrainian strength. I suppose the other surprise, which is part of that, is just the lack of impact of air power. Um, in the wars that um, sort of the West has fought, air power, air power has loomed very large, and we know it can only take you so far when you get into uh, uh, insurgencies and so on. But where air power has made a tremendous difference. And the Russians used air power you know, quite effectively in Syria. Uh, so the limited impact of air power has been surprising. And I think that's partly due to um, uh, the, the, the limited ordinance they've got, partly due to the fact that they had too easy a ride maybe in Syria and therefore weren't prepared for uh, a more serious defensive operation, and partly because the um, Ukrainians have had some decent uh, air defences uh, of their own and also maintained uh, their own air force, uh, just small, but, uh, but has been operational. So I think the, the uh, lack of importance of the 
air power dimension. It's relevant, but, but hasn't been decisive, not say as much as artillery. I suppose the other thing is there was an expectation here. I, I would say I was always more cautious about the role of cyber attacks and information campaigns and so on as being you know, part of the Russian armory. Uh, and they've all been tried and some quite significant cyber attacks, but by and large, they haven't made much difference to, to, to the course of the conflict. In fact, if anything, uh, the Russians have come off worse, certainly on the information campaigns. Zelensky is much better at it than Putin. Speaking with Sir Lawrence Friedman, Emeritus Professor of War Studies at King's College London, uh, we're talking about the war so far. We're almost 90 days in uh, to this war in Ukraine and some of the surprises. Uh, certainly, uh, lack of, uh, Russia's lack of success has been surprising on the ground. One aspect we haven't talked about much, it did come up about the UN this week uh, in the context of food security, is just the effectiveness of Russia's sea blockade, of uh, the blockade of Ukrainian ports and how that's impacted both Ukraine's economy in general and Ukraine's ability uh, to export much-needed grain to other parts of the world. And we'll talk about that after this. I'm speaking with Sir Lawrence Friedman, Emeritus Professor of War Studies at King's College London and author of several books on war and strategic studies, including the upcoming Command, The Politics of Military Operations from Korea to Ukraine. He's speaking to me tonight uh, from London. We've been discussing the the lack of progress or the progress or lack thereof so far for Russia in this war, uh, what may lie ahead in the coming days and weeks. Um, uh, Sir Lawrence, one area that you've looked at and spoken about and you thought was perhaps not being discussed enough uh, was the naval blockade, the way that Russia has basically shut off uh, Ukraine's access uh, to the sea. Uh, how effective has that been and, and, and how important has it been in this conflict? Uh, well, it is important. Uh, I think quite a lot of people are talking about it uh, this week. Uh, and uh, partly because uh, it hurts Ukraine's economy, and that's obviously what Russia is intending to achieve. But it's having dire effects on, on the international economy, on, on basically on food prices, uh, and could create a much more general humanitarian crisis, which is why there's a lot of interest in how you get all the um, agricultural produce uh, in storage in uh, in Ukraine, particularly close to Odessa, out, because that normally goes by sea. Uh, and these are really substantial uh, amounts. And if you don't move them, um, then you've got a problem with the next harvest because uh, you've got nowhere to store. So the, the, there are very big issues here. Uh, and uh, the EU and, uh, uh, and the UN uh, have been looking at these. The question is, do you need uh, some sort of military naval operation to uh, provide some sort of convoy? The, there's, enough, there's two sorts of problems. One, whether or not the Russians would fire on ships trying to escort um uh, uh, merchant vessels in and out of, of Odessa. Odessa would be the main port involved here. Uh, whether you, or, or, and also uh, the role of mines, some, some of which undoubtedly have been laid by the Ukrainians to stop a, a, a Russian amphibious landing. Uh, and the mines are a really big problem. One ship has already been struck by a mine uh, with a couple of casualties. And um, so I, I think you would need quite a serious 
naval operation. It wouldn't have to be branded as, as NATO. It could be branded as UN or just an ad hoc coalition. But I think there's going to be increasing pressure for something like this, um, just simply because the current situation uh, carries all sorts of dangers, not only for Ukraine, um, but for the rest of the world. And the Russians are being a bit equivocal on um, on all of this as, uh, in terms of what steps they would take to to stop it. They, they say it has to be linked to economic sanctions against Russia. Uh, and that's obviously something that NATO will not want to, or the EU will not want to ease. So I think there's going to be quite a bit of diplomacy around this um, uh, over the next week or so. But, but the pressure is certainly building up to act. I know from the outside, really, we've seen the high-profile incidents, the sinking of the Moskova, for instance. Uh, There was the sinking of another major uh, Ukrainian ship or Ukrainian vessel at the very beginning, the Slovyansk, and then there was another Russian vessel that was sunk as well. And these seem to be the times that we pay specific attention to what's going on at sea, as well as sort of the attacks from from the Azov Sea and from the Black Sea on Ukraine. But how successful has Russia been in this blockade, and and how how Powerful is their navy and its ability to uh, defend uh, that area? Well, it's obviously in a very strong position uh, vis-a-vis the Ukrainian navy, which is tiny. Um, now, the Ukrainians have uh, fought back, as ways you've indicated, especially sinking of the Moskva, which has caused the Russians' problem because it was playing quite a large air defence role, not just over the sea, but over the land as well. So that was a, a big loss to Russia, as well as being humiliating. Um and the Ukrainians are now getting some pretty significant anti-ship capabilities. So they could go a bit on the offensive uh, in the Black Sea if if they wish to. Uh, and this would give some protection also if they were trying to move stuff out. So you, you could see more naval battles. Um, but I think at the moment what's happening is, is the Russians are keeping most of their ships out of range. They're not trying to do that much themselves. Um, and un- until ships really start to test the blockade, uh, it'll be hard to know how uh, how intently the, the, the Russians wish to maintain it. That's, that's one of the difficult calculations in this case. You've spoken a lot about, uh, or you've referred to the idea that preventing this war from spilling over has always been the main objective of Ukraine's partners, or at least uh, NATO and so forth. Uh, do you see th- the blockade as being potentially the one area where there could be a flashpoint? Well, there are a number of areas, but this is certainly one of them. Um, uh, so the, the concerns have been that you know, Russia being pushed in a cor- into a corner or uh, what happens if the Ukrainians go for Crimea, mm-hmm. um, on the one hand, or what happens if the Russians try to interdict supplies coming over land and possibly you know, try and attack targets in Poland and so on. I think that sort of thing uh, is less likely now. Uh, it's, um, I mean, you know, Putin hasn't even declared this a full war. Now from, it's still a limited operation as far as he's concerned. But the, the Black Sea is certainly one area where you can imagine now a contingency where U.S. Navy, Royal Navy ships, uh, whatever, can be um, moving uh, into positions, not inviting an attack by Russian ships, not looking for a fight with the Russian ships, um, but having to be aware of the possibility that such a fight could develop. Uh, They'd be going through international waters and Ukrainian waters, so um, 
to the that they won't be trespassing, but but it, it would be seen as a, as a potential area of escalation. Um, certainly, I mean, this week the Secretary of State accused Russia of uh, of holding the world hostage, essentially uh, through this through this blockade. Uh, has this been a tactic? Do you, do you see this as a tactic from the Russians to try to? force some sort of uh, settlement here that this this idea of using uh, the blockade as a way to uh, to force others to the table yeah i mean i think i think it it's um i don't think necessarily that's how it started out i mean they, they didn't think the war was going to last this long um uh and in the end they want the exports too i mean if they've taken over the territory they'll want to move it out move the move the produce out but um I think as as things have turned out, they're now aware that this is uh, a potential instrument that they can use to their advantage. Um, and I think they're still trying to work out how they can use it. Canada has spoken this week about sending cargo ships to ports in Romania and other neighbours. Is that is that a solution? Potentially. I mean, other, other Black Sea ports uh, would be important in this. Um so the, the, the Romania and Bulgaria are uh, two NATO members um, who will be involved. Obviously, Turkey too. I mean, the key thing about anything you might want to do in the Black Sea is you've always got to get there through Turkey. Um, they control it. Right. Uh, they control the Bosphorus, um, and uh, uh, they haven't let Russian ships go through, for instance. Now you would think, uh, and it probably would be the case. Not just because they're they're NATO members, because they can be quite equivocal on that, but because they're also suffering from the high food prices in many countries they pay attention to, like Egypt and so on, are suffering from the high food prices, that they would be reasonably supportive of 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 a move of this sort. And and obviously, you know, Canada as a naval power. would one would expect to see as part of part of the sort of coalition put together uh, here. Sir Lawrence Friedman, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Pleasure.